1: Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Switch your home to Sky Broadband today. See sky.ie for more.
2: Hello and welcome to Inside Politics, the weekly and sometimes more than weekly politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Pat Leahy. These are difficult times for Fine Gael. Battered by opinion polls which show it lagging far behind Sinn Féin and frequently behind Fianna Fall, there is a deep unease at all levels of the party. Some harbour the fear that the next election will see its long-running government since 2011, by far the longest period the party has ever spent in power, come to an end. Some even welcome that prospect, believing that a spell in opposition is needed for the party to regroup and rebuild. Others think that the party can revive when Tóniste Leo Varadkar becomes, once again, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, as scheduled under the Programme for Government in December of this year. In recent years, the party has shipped criticism from many quarters but few critics have been more acerbic than Irish Times columnist Una Mullally, who has described the party as out of touch and out of ideas and predicted it will be out of power, as the leadership of Varadkar and his re-ascension to the Taoiseach's office will actually make things worse for Fine Gael. I'm delighted to say that Una joins me now, and so does the Fine Gael TD, Neil Richmond, who has been critical of the tone and nature of some of Una's writing about Fine Gael. You're both very welcome. Una, uh, you wrote about Fine Gael being completely disconnected, as you put it in your column on Monday. You said Fine Gael is profoundly disconnected and Varadkar's leadership and personification of that disconnection has been electorally disastrous for his party. And it continues with his failed tactics of attacking the most popular party in the country." Elaborate a bit on that for us, if you will, particularly with regard to, you know, you talk about Varadkar's personification of it. Do you think that his his particular style of leadership and the content of his leadership has, do you think it has changed Fine Gael and changed it for the worse?
3: I'm really interested in the trajectory of how Varadkar's messaging changed or maybe more specifically how his connection to the electorate through that messaging change. What I was writing about was how he was kind of always spoken about as this like straight talker and how he tells it like it is, Um, very much so kind of in his earlier career before he um became, became Taoiseach and leader of the party. And also when he was a minister, he would kind of adopt this kind of uh, commentator stance Um, even around, you know, flaws that he was kind of over- overseeing ultimately in, in various briefs, particularly as Minister for Health. So I think what's really interesting is, you know, the I think the electorate really, really enjoys and likes people who really cut through and can say things very straight out. But I think what has happened, which is a part of the kind of disconnection that Fine Gael now have from the electorate, as we obviously see in the polls and as we see in um, the 2020 general election and, of course, the, the failed uh, 2021 by-election campaign in by south is that in order to tell it like it is, you have to know what it is. And that's kind of what I was writing about. And these disconnections from people's desires, their needs, obviously the the massive, massive issue around the housing disaster as well. People no longer tune in to whatever is being said. I think Farrakhar in particular um, has kind of grown in, in that lack, which is kind of odd um, as he's become you know, a larger political entity. Um, And I think that's coupled as well with his tendency to say the wrong thing or say awkward things as well. And so I'm kind of interested in this, you know, other kind of side narrative that I think maybe is going on in Fine Gael, that when Vrakker becomes Taoiseach again, that actually things will get better and fortunes will turn around. And I kind of feel like it's the opposite, because I think when you're not in tune you know, in terms culturally in tune in, in a strange way with what people want in terms of a vision for the country. I think that really things begin to fall apart. And I think we see this in the slight oscillation in Finnegal's political communication and messaging with regards to what they're trying to get at. So they've kind of oscillated from this more very soft influencer led type, you know, social media content to then back into this very hard messaging and it just defaulting now again to attacking Sinn Féin, which while it may be, you know, you know, an emotional reaction, let's say, we know even on a superficial level that is a political tactic in terms of, you know, getting you know more votes and being more popular, it fails time and time again. So I'm really interested in that in that default to attack Sinn Féin. And what that says to me is maybe that there aren't many ideas going on there that it's really hard to chime with the electorate when the electorate generally doesn't like your policies or is suffering the consequences of the policies. And maybe now there's just kind of a move of like, let's rile up the base, let's consolidate the base, they like this. But that capacity not to self-reflect on how other people are responding, I think is is really a, a kind of a central flaw in their messaging. I'm just very interested in, in, that, in messaging in general, um, in, in politics. So I think it's really interesting how they are floundering at the moment.
2: Do you think that Varadkar, at an earlier point uh, in his political career, did get it, as you might put it? Because I remember some uh, polling in the Irish Times back, I'd say 2016, 2017, 2018, that that, that sort of time, probably before he became Taoiseach, which suggested that the view that an awful lot of people had of him was that, you know, he wasn't like other politicians, yeah. which is, of course, a sort of a priceless political asset uh, to have in in an ironic way. So do you think that that he did get it and has forgotten how, what it is, or, or was it all sort of political artifice in the early stages?
3: I think it's probably a bit of both. I, I do think what has happened is that Ireland has changed and Fine Gael has kind of stayed the same. And I think that because the primary issue of course in Ireland right now is the housing crisis and that Fine Gael are architects of that housing crisis pardon the pun um that that it's very it's it's impossible to kind of claim that you're going to fix the problem you caused right so i think that that's an issue but i think that there are loads of kind of cultural variables that are feeding into how people's values changed emerging from the recession i think there's an the discourse around the essence of a republic and the values of a republic and all that kind of stuff in and around the uh, 1916 centenary, I think is under noted as a thing that made people actually kind of look within and and develop these aspirations and visions for a future and how far have we come and who are we now really? And then I think the social movements around marriage equality and repeal and the discourse that that created, you know, it created this empathic framework of discourse throughout the country, which is really amazing for social cohesion. And that kind of changed people's values in a way as well. So I feel like when the average person looks at a Fine Gael politician, and I think sometimes Fine Gael politicians think I'm being mean when I say this, but I'm just, you know, you know, offering an analysis. I'm not sure that people feel connected to them on a personal level. And I'm not sure people feel like, um, they're kind of representative of who Irish people have actually grown to become. I think Irish people's standards have changed. I think their values have emerged in quite an unusual way, particularly coming out of a recession, where we've seen obviously in other jurisdictions that this move to a right. the right. That has not happened in Ireland. The voting research over the past kind of 10 years shows this pattern that the Irish electorate is actually shifting to the left. So I think the values... And the personalities within Fine Gael and their messaging just doesn't chime with that. And I think now you're kind of seeing, you know, this, um, what is it called? The stronger, safer communities messaging coming through, which is a traditional kind of law and order messaging, right? So this is like a traditional conservative messaging, despite the fact that, you know, um, crime is falling in Ireland, mostly. I mean, it's up hugely in fraud, actually, between 2020 and 2021. So I think that, that that kind of messaging feels to me that maybe there's a there's a tendency to actually go okay we'll consolidate what is left of our depleted base and we'll go hard but really really unfortunately the Irish electorate does not like that so I I don't know what's going to what's going to happen in terms of when Varagra comes back in but I don't think it's going to be as successful for for the party
2: what do you think of that Neil I mean you know whatever your view on that analysis is it's certainly true that you know Leo Veradker's star has diminished significantly in its luster in recent years.
0: I don't know how that analysis necessarily actually correlates with the column that I read this week from Una. Um, and a lot of the points made in the column weren't necessarily that detail of that coax. They were quite blunt. And I I don't for an instant think you're being mean, Una. Although some of the things that you do say about Fine Gael politicians, I haven't seen you say about other politicians. And You referenced the Dublin Bay South -South by-election last year. That article about James Gagan was horrendous and it was personal. And this is at a time where he was being absolutely trolled on social media. He had people coming to his home with his wife and kids inside, snooping around his bin, snooping in the cars. And there was an absolute personal defenestration printed a couple of days out for an election that merited... The Irish Times having to afforded uh, a right of reply to the Director of
2: Elections. And even in, fairness, in, in, in fairness, Neil, I do recall the column, but that's not really here, what
3: no, but we're also, here to no, talk that's about. that's not no, what it was, that's not but what but it also, was never mind. and it, it, no, it you know, really
0: not I, like, I, I didn't interrupt you, to be fair. No problem, go um, ahead. Because further that column, I look at the column a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, obviously we have yesterday's column. We have the column a couple of weeks ago where you go through a range of Fine Gael politicians, go through a range of cabinet ministers from other parties and just take the mickey out of them. I'm all for a bit of political satire. I'm not precious. And then, of course, you love to reference my days as a bouncer, as a, as a baby Wes nightclub, when we're talking about a very thoughtful position and a lengthy position paper I'd written about neutrality, which wasn't for chasing votes. It was chasing the reality of the situation we face as the country. And I didn't see the same criticism of the prime ministers of Finland and Sweden who've completely changed their position being too social democrat. Well, I'm not prime leaving ministers, Finland, But going though. to the points that you've made there in terms of well firstly the stronger safer communities it's a lot more than law and order and if you look at the detail it's actually talking about town and village renewal it's actually talking about the new legislation on sexual and gender-based violence and um, it's talking about how we restore restore the idea of community going back post-pandemic that people community people want to work from home again a year ago we said we were insisting that people get back to the offices five days a week even though that's the opposite to what government policy and the legislation that leo produced is and we have a situation in Fine Gael that we don't focus everything on the individual. We're a broad party. We're all individuals. We have a very strong leader um, who you write about a lot. You don't write about him as much as the others. And you say we revert to bashing Sinn Féin, which I just simply don't accept. A fortnight ago, you'd really personalise attacks from Pierre Starty going on about, falsely going on about, Leo hosting a champagne dinner at the taxpayer's expense and then bringing up the fact that there was a criminal investigation. And when the problem was that masked the really genuine good points that Pierce was making. Because we do appreciate that despite certain things going very well for certain parts of society and economy, a lot of people are struggling. And that's why we make the decision to go into government. And the points that Pierce made two weeks ago last Thursday, and I was in the chamber, were completely undermined by himself. Instead, I'm going to make this personal and have a cut at Leo and try and paint them as this aloof elitist. But then the following Thursday in the chamber, Pat, after Leo had pushed back and Pierce didn't like to push back, you actually had the two of them having a mature discussion about genuine issues that people are facing in terms of, yes, there is a a massive, massive problem with housing supply and home ownership about addressing rising inflation, fuel costs, um, costs of living, Childcare is a huge issue in my area. How do we get our health service back on a much better basis? The thing is, we're we're not a bad country. All the global indices show that we're actually doing pretty well. We're in the top 10 in a lot of things. But we know we can be a heck of a lot better. And when you talk about what is it, why I really agreed to do this podcast is let's have the discussion. Tell me in detail what it is. And being realistic, we know what Finnegan as a party is. You say we don't know what we stand for. I can list you out exactly. I can, I can give you our pre budget speakers that we've already crafted. They're no secret of what we want to achieve. Um, and we've been in government for a considerable long time. We came in in a very difficult area. We've made some serious, significant economic and social changes. We've been a part of those movements as well. And you can say it was reluctantly, and I'll accept that criticism. But I think if it's going to be constant criticism, I'm all for constructive criticism. And I want to use this time that we have with Pat on the podcast to work through. You and I aren't going to agree on certain things and that's cool, that's the basis. But we have to be able to disagree and be disagreeable and look at the key areas.
1: Never suffer the buffer again. Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable sky broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky broadband ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base.
2: Una, I want to talk uh, just about that change that I've detected as well in, in Fine Gael messaging over recent weeks. But first, do you want to come back on that stuff?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't think what I'm saying is is personalised. I do think some people in Fine Gael take it personally. Um, now, I d- also think that it's much easier to kind of criticise the messenger than deal with the substance of the analysis, because I suppose what I'm, you know, I don't support any political party. What I'm trying to provide is an analysis of how I feel that things are are, are, are happening and what's going on, and to represent the points of view of, of other people who who also feel you know, maybe similarly. Um, I think that with regards to, you know, these these kind of spots in the doll or whatever, honestly, I just don't think people care about that, you know. And I think that that kind of discourse really annoys people because what they see is politicians arguing while they're dealing with really, really fundamental, difficult issues. I also think it's really, really difficult for Fine Gael as a party whether it's individual politicians or collectively, to make this argument that they've done things well and that, you know, they're going to do more and that they're representing, you know, this particular cohort, nebulous cohort, whatever that is, when the reality is that people are suffering a profound, profound uh, issue with the housing crisis. And and unfortunately for Fine Gael, no matter what other policies are going on, no matter what they do, because housing has been so broken um, by Fine Gael, for the most part, policies, a lot of that stuff just doesn't matter. So I, I think that that's the fundamental difficulty. We, and we know that other parties capitalise on that. We know Sinn Féin in particular capitalise on that. We know that Sinn Féin, um, you know, I think they're, they're given far too much credit, actually, for their political strategy, because they basically just like, Found themselves filling this political vacuum. I mean, I remember writing about that back in 2014 that there was this strange political vacuum around these new values that were kind of emerging in Irish society, and there was nobody there to fill it. Um, you know, and again, you know, offering the analysis that I think a lot of people didn't agree with the post repeal that Sinn Fein would actually be the party that would stand to politically and electorally benefit from most of that, and then also my analysis in the run up to. Um, the the 2020 general election. I think my analysis of that party's trajectory is often seen as an endorsement. It's not. I'm basically saying what's actually happening, and really, unfortunately for Finnegale and for their future, and I think it's quite existential, is that they cannot get past the issues in in Irish society that they've actually caused through their policy, and it's it's very hard to to, you know, make any inroads in that, and it's especially hard when you're not going to actually self-reflect and acknowledge that and own those failures, you, they've really backed themselves in, in, into a corner. And when you're communicating this kind of stuff of like, well, we're doing this and we're, you know, we're helping middle in- income workers. It's like, that's just not real for people. You know, it, it, it just really that's isn't real. That's what all
2: governments do though, isn't it? As a defence, they'll say, you know, okay, and Fine Gael and Fine fall Greens and government might say, look, we acknowledge there's a problem with the cost of living. We acknowledge there's a problem with housing. These are the steps we are have taken and are taking in the future. Oh, but totally. look at all these other things that we're doing. And by any measure, you know, I mean, Ireland is not uniquely anything.
3: Um, well, I in- think I think that's not necessarily true because, of course, everywhere has, you know, most places have a problem with housing. I think Ireland's housing crisis is really kind of extraordinarily dysfunctional. I think maybe, you know. I, I I think that, like, one of the issues within Fine Gael, and potentially within Fina as well, is that I don't think um, either party really understands the level of devastation that it's causing in people's lives. I really don't think that they understand how it's underpinning and exacerbating loads of other issues like the staffing crisis, you know, across all industries. And I don't think people really understand how extraordinarily ridiculous and costly our childcare is compared to our um, EU counterparts and things like that. So really, I think that that's what I mean when I'm saying I don't they don't get it because it is the massive, um, almost ancillary crises that housing has caused, be that people delaying having families, be that the mental health crisis. Be, be that people who have jobs, who have opportunities in this country, who have to leave. And and, and like, I'm not calling that emigration anymore. I feel like people are being exiled by the housing crisis. Loads of my friends who lit, who grew up in, in Dublin and in other places in this country, who are really talented, who've been educated through universities in this country, who had jobs, who have opportunities, have had to move have had to leave Ireland because they cannot afford a room to rent. Now that is actually quite unique, and that is devastating. And I think that trauma, actually, that people are carrying around the housing crisis, I don't think Fine Gael get it. I see, and, you know, I, 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 sorry,
0: just I'm not like you keep saying we don't get it and we don't understand. I've been an elected politician for thirteen years. I've made my entire vocation at every level trying to understand people's issues, trying to solve their issues. I have 25 housing reps on my desk. We work it And these are all different people looking for social housing, people looking for somewhere to rent, people who have issues drawing down a mortgage, you know, doing the whole transfer. This is what we spend our day doing. And we do it because we genuinely care. Yeah, but Neil, your policy
3: is also... Can I come to
0: this soon again? Again, you've said four times in this podcast that it's all Fine fault and i think that in it is a little bit unfair if you look at where we came from the financial crash what finangail took over in 2011 the measures they had to take very difficult measures not popular measures the position we put ourselves in and the extent that the policies have worked haven't worked i'm not accept i'm not for one instance not denying that housing is the biggest issue i am literally living both the housing and childcare issue and i'm not going to get into personal details cuz that really doesn't matter but you talk about lots of your friends leaving and we're roughly the same age Lots of my friends left 10 years ago have subsequently come back. Lots of my friends have been able to stay. We can all cite anecdotal evidence. It is a massive issue. And we have proposed solutions. We're working through plans. You're saying that's not working, that's fair enough. But then when we look at what the opposition's plans are and what's realistic and what's achievable in the next five or 10 years, they don't stack up either. And I suppose, again, the purpose of this conversation is not to go back and forth, back and forth. The biggest issue, you're talking about is housing and understandable there is other issues and they're all extremely important in terms of cost of living in terms of childcare, in terms of keeping the economy going and everything else but when we look at the very the specifics of the housing policy and I know you've written before saying the policies failed Owen Murphy failed Simon Coveney failed and you put it on the individual but what what are the specific changes you you have the opportunity now. I'm. I'm not going to rubbish any idea, but we're talking about what are you, what are your solutions? What are you not just hearing anecdotally, but looking at the research going through? You're talking about the highest in crisis. What what can Finnegall change as we hopefully stay in government for the next two and a half to three years, depending on um, when the general election is? This is the challenge. This is this is what I want to have the conversation. I don't want to have the row, but genuine conversation. Mm. We can talk about the rake of different opinion pieces and personalities, it, but that isn't going to matter in, to anyone. In, in fairness, Neil, I mean, Una can
2: answer that however, however she wants, but to present a critique of government policy and evidence that government policy may or may not be working is a, a role in itself. It, it, you know... And it's a really, it's really, really to, important... It's, it's, it's not a, to solve the, no, uh, not at all. the housing at it, so it's a really
0: use. important role. But when it's on on the basis of 20 Fine critical op-eds in the last year and a half, Um, I can list out all the titles and why I tweeted about Una's article and I rarely do even when I'm involved in them is I find it is repetitive. It's saying the same things. They seem to be obsessed with Leo Vragkar. Um, Leo Vragkar's mask drops again. We heard that before. Fine are intellectually uh, bankrupt. You know, there is a constant thread. And after a while, there's presenting a critique. There's pretending constructive criticism. And then there's just dropping into... Every four to five weeks, well, I'm going to have a pop at Finnegale or Finnegale individual. But like, and I feel a- that masks sooner <laughs> the very real issues that you and I want to discuss about that's affecting our generation be it housing, be it childcare, and be it everything else.
3: Yeah. You I know, mean, it, you and know. I
0: think it takes away from okay. the arguments that we want to have. And you talk about people aren't interested in spats and the doll. And I agree with you. No one wants to see Leo and Pierce going back. They do want to hear them talking about the substantive issues that are different, that they propose to make things better for people. And I just feel that we have literally a stack of opinion pieces here that 20% of them are about the specific issues and 80% are about the individuals or the brand or the language. And they are heavily focused on the Fine party.
3: I mean... I don't know whether it's your place to tell me what I should or shouldn't write about, you know, with, with respect.
0: And, and I'm not telling you, but I'm um, just bringing w- the same way you're you're telling me what the Gael party should and shouldn't be doing. I fully accept your constructive criticism. I fully expect your pieces and you write whatever you want to write. But if you're going to write that and put it forward, and I can say this as an Irish Times subscriber, as well as an elected member of the DD, I have a right to say that I think X, Y, or Z in your column is factually incorrect. Anton Savage hasn't been MD of the communication well, look, for quite some time, but equally, and this is very important. When my political party that I represent and that I speak for, or me as an individual, is called out, and... Um, I have a right to respond and say that, well, if you're going to keep saying this, actually, let's get into the detail. And if you're not going to go into detail, that's fine. But this is why I'm on the podcast. And I would hope this is why you're on the podcast, that we can actually discuss the issues that are affecting people's lives. And I can get across what I, and I think my party are trying to do. And we can actually talk about the substance of the policy agenda.
3: I mean, I write about such a wide variety of things. I actually, I don't look that much at Twitter anymore um, because of the amount of abuse that I get, which is very often amplified when um, Fine Gael politicians in, in particular tweet about me. But I I did, somebody did alert me to the fact that you said that I write about Fine Gael every four or five weeks. I actually looked through my columns for this year and I've written two on the subject matter of Fine Gael in 24 weeks. Um, no,
0: that's not so correct. I, I, have, I, I have twenty. In the last... Neil, I mean, look... Like, I have them here. I have them printed out. Like, well, I've, I've done my research. I think, like, Neil, she... Una may have mentioned Fine Gael
2: and, and Leo... Yeah, critical in, mentions in of columns, Fine Gael consistently but, is my point. Uh, but anyway... I, I think she probably knows what she intended the centrepiece yeah, of politics. Yeah, I, I, I,
3: do, I do know what I, I write about, and I do write about a wide variety of things. I mean, I think it's kind of mad for... A politician to be asking a journalist to not write critically about I'm not asking you party. to write critically. I, I Neil, never said let, that. Did Neil, I never please, say that has
2: to be Neil, fair. please just let Una respond.
3: So I think that's strange. I mean, I think I'm entitled to write about what I want to write about. I think that a lot of people identify with my analysis. I think a lot of people enjoy my writing. Um, I think that, you know, there's a place for Uh, critical, humorous, maybe robust analysis um, that cuts through. And I think that, you know, I've been a journalist for for 20 years um, and I've been a columnist for most of that time um, in the Sunday Tribune, in the Dubliner, in the Irish Times, in the Guardian. So, like, I'm quite, you know, long in this game and I know what I'm doing. And I wonder... Perhaps if the party engaged more with what I was saying, even if it feels hurtful or if like people's feelings are hurt or something like that, which is not my responsibility to protect politicians um from from their feelings or something. But perhaps if you engage more with what I am saying and maybe the temperature of what I am saying, you would perhaps have a better grasp of how a lot of people actually feel about Fine Gael. You know, I'm am
2: not- I... Am I correct in, in saying that a lot of your critique of Fine Gael and, uh, and, and the sometimes kind of pointed way in which you level, um, you, you you build that around for performa- per- performance as leader is a, a kind of a class-based one? Um, I
3: mean, I, mean, I you've think... You've written
2: about how kind of, you know, F- Fine Gael policies have protected the... Fine Gael voting classes, to paraphrase, mm-hmm. yeah. if I understand them correctly.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's an aspect of it. I mean, I think that we really saw that in the really um, terrible kind of social media alerts put out during the dublin Bay South by-election. The dog whistle of working class people were voting, therefore Fine Gael voters need to get out. I mean, that was criticised by people within Fine Gael. you know, it was criticised very heavily by Regina Doherty, for example. Um, so I think that there is... An aspect of that, but I mean, it's no, it's no secret or you know, great um pre- perceptive point that Finnegall voters are traditionally not working class. You know, I d- I don't think that that's you know um um an unusual thing to say. That's quite obvious. I mean, I have plenty of criticisms of Fianna Fáil, I have plenty of criticisms of Labour, of Sinn Fein. I mean, I wrote a very robust piece very recently about how Mary Lou McDonald is utterly wrong to be taking this case against RTE. I mean, I think politicians trying to stifle um, debate and and free expression and criticism in journalism is not the thing that should be happening in a, in a democracy. So, you know, I, I'm perfectly um, able to, to kind of cast the net wide. You know, I also write an awful lot about the dysfunction in Dublin city council and, and, and in, in the consequences for Dublin, um, I write a lot about culture, I write about, about loads of things. It's obviously not a surprise to me that Fine Gael politicians don't like when I'm being critical of Fine Gael. I think some of them understand that what I'm saying is actually correct because what I'm saying is panning out in terms of how people are um, you know, feeling about the party. We see that in the polls, we see that in the elections. So it's like maybe if you actually focused on the policies and what has actually gone wrong, instead of focusing on me, then you might be getting somewhere. And with regards to housing, Neil, you know, I just, the thing is, you can say that the party is going to do this, that and the other, and you inherited, you know, a, a disaster, which we all know. But it's the policies that came from that, which were rooted in a particular ideological stance on housing, for it to be um, divested to the market and for private um, companies and institutional investors to take over the state's responsibility to build, which would have been very difficult, I understand that, but that's what has us in this mess. So it's not the case that you can say, well, there was a crash and then we inherited that because Fine Gael has been working on its housing policy for 11 years. And, you know, people say quite rightly, I think, that it takes a decade to change Housing to address housing to to really see um, the outcome of housing policy, and I agree with that. And we are living at the end of that decade, and it is a disaster. And so I think that when you're trying to kind of you know maybe say that that I shouldn't be critical of Finnegall, like or, or well or that I'm too critical or that I'm too frequently critical or something like that. I mean, maybe there's a bit of a like Bader meinhof complex going on, but that's what you're seeing and what you're hearing um, because it relates obviously very pertinently to you and your party. Um, But I think that my analysis is pretty justified um, and I think it chimes with people's experiences. I don't take the temperature from Twitter and things like this. You know, I take the temperature from the cultural sphere, from what people are actually saying, from my interactions with people that go from everything from you know, people dealing with being evicted to, you know, massive investors or, or tech executives. You know, I, I'm not honing in on one particular thing. I mean, I wonder sometimes, I, I think that like, you know, in, in a parallel universe, I could probably be this archetypal Finnegal, you know, supporter or something. Oh, no, you know? hold on. <laughs> no, because I think it is kind of true because in in many ways, like, my demographic, you know, this middle class person from South County Dublin who's university educated and 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 writes for the Irish Times or whatever, is kind of this classic type of um uh aspect of the Fine Gael base which they left behind. And, and you know, very unfortunately, I think that the a lot of people um in in this country, particularly in Dublin, because obviously is having an absolute nightmare in Dublin, but like. A lot of people who grew up with that sense of, you know, with privilege, with access to education, not dealing with neighborhoods that are racked by crime, all that kind of stuff, probably may have gravitated towards Fine Gael. But because Fine Gael's policies, which are geared towards bolstering kind of um, you know, intergenerational intergenerational wealth or big business or or what, what the privileged or whatever, actually ended up Really eating into the middle classes in terms of the outcome of their policies, particularly around housing and childcare and amenities and all that kind of stuff, that's kind of really a kind of fundamental part of the party's existential crisis because the people that should be gravitating towards them are dealing with the consequences of their really bad policies. And Fine Gael cannot self-examine and fess up to the fact that it kind of broke a lot of stuff. Neil. So I think it must be really hard to actually go, oh my God, where do we go from here? But it's Neil. not my fault.
0: <laughs> Una Una hasn't left you, you've left her. Yeah, well, I, you know, Una, if you, if you move to Dublin right you're more than welcome to consider me for a preference, but I don't know <laughs> really if that's on the cards. But there's a couple of things there, and I think a little bit, and I didn't want to interrupt, Deputy, because some of the, what, the points you're making is exactly the reason why I came on. this podcast and why I actually want to deal down the policy and you're talking about the over reliance as you see it on the private sector and house building and that's where we can have a genuine political debate and the challenge can be put to me as an elected representative well you sought a mandate you go and fix it let's be very clear I have never and would never ever tell you what to write I read you every week I listen to your podcast I really like your podcast it's a bit different than your writing and I'm very very well aware that you write on a really broad range of topics However, the point, and I stand over it, is that your political analysis based on the data I have in front of me is skewed towards Fine Gael, criticism of Fine Gael. And again, I've no problem with the criticism of the party. Some of it is needlessly personal. I think you have to admit it as much of you want to say that I need to admit that Fine Gael aren't le- listening or need to engage a lot more. I don't accept we're in an existential crisis, but we've certainly spent the last two years examining after 11 years in government and getting down to 20 point whatever percent in a general election, where do we go from here and how do we pe- pick ourselves up and freshen things up and perhaps reassess policy issues. I would challenge that as a columnist, giving a very valued opinion, perhaps you could assess on some of your, your writing which I perceive to be needlessly personal and you can say you don't mean to offend and maybe we're being a bit sensitive and that's fine but I go back to various columns but I think some of the language used really was unnecessary and that's the point and I'll leave it there that I'd make that in terms of have we lost the basis when we can talk about opinion polls you talk of general election you put the context of everything's on the situation with housing and I accept that housing is the biggest challenge has to be the challenge I would think that some of the policies we've actually introduced have worked. I actually think the Land Development Agency is about to bring a lot of progress in terms of providing the ability, in terms of affordable uh, home ownership. And I think these are things that go hand in hand in ensuring that you rebuild economy, you get people back to work. The difficulty I have is, we're not talking about the details enough on this podcast the same way as in the doll that you and I agree that people have no time for the spats. I want to see politicians talking about the issues, but I think it is good when politicians disagree. And I think it's good that you and I may present different opinions, but we're not going to fall out about it, but we're going to go to the meat of it. And I don't accept that there's some ideological rush to look after the privileged classes or big business because these are things the brickbats that just get thrown back on social media but if you look at the depth of the finnegale policy of the finnegal social agenda i stand over our record in government i sought re-election. i sought election for the first time in the door over not just what finnegal was promising to do but what they have done i think they've got more things right than wrong i accept that we need to and self-reflect self-analyze and take the criticism on board but the central thesis, I believe, the criticism is overly personal and a little bit okay. unbiased. But the final point i making this is in the next two and a half years, we will continue as a very distinct party. And if people come to us, they will. We're roughly in the opinion polls, the same result we got in the general election. There's lots of build. Okay. Una, very quick yeah, final word. I mean,
3: I I think that thinking that you've done things really well in government is. Some things, yeah, is probably like part of the broader problem because that's not, that doesn't reflect in
0: people's lives. Do you want us to go back and say we've had a disastrous 11 years? That well, would no, make no I sense. Think,
3: I, well,
0: like I we mean, can look at the parts that haven't worked that need improvement. I'm not denying them. But we have to be able to say that, you know what? I was happy that Finnegal was part of a lot of the changes. I'm happy that we have the most people at work now in the country that ever before that we've got close to full employment that we've taken a situation uh, in 2011 that is drastically different now that we're constantly in good u n indices. Yes, there's challenges, but we have to you have to take the rough with this move, and I'm prepared to take the rough. I mean, but I, you I can't think, just say we're denying hey. things
3: i think I think um lists and graphs and GDPs and indexes and stuff, It's also people living
0: in homes. It's also people who are in jobs. It's real life. This is what I deal with, Pat, on the basis. I deal with real life. But we have that point. Just let Una respond because we're out of time.
3: I think when it doesn't, when people can't see that in their lives, I think that that is part of the disconnect. I think that um, I'm entitled to write in the style that I do, in the way that I do. Um, I'm not going to alter how I write because... People think that I'm being overly critical, um, or a particular party does, I would just never do that. And um, no, I wouldn't and accept
0: I, you to. But you have okay, to accept well, the points what, that I was making.
3: Well, that no. that is a actually. perception.
0: Yes, but, no, you, you have to accept my right to have the perception that I yeah, feel that okay. some of your language is overly personalized and needless. And yeah, it takes well, away from the point you made that point I don't repeatedly. expect to make yeah. any yeah, yeah, mean, but made That's made why I think repeatedly. it's important to make the point, Pat, because it's being said that I'm trying to tell you. And we have the point.
3: Yeah. I mean, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. That's not my problem. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm just doing my job. I'm writing in the way that I'm writing. I think I'm getting things right a lot of the time. Some of it is colorful. Some of it is robust. I'm not going to change tack because a politician or a political party is annoyed at me. In, in a way, if that's the case, that kind of makes me feel like I'm doing my job. So I, I mean, that's, that's how I feel about it.
2: We oh, don't. Okay, exaggerate, okay. Exaggerate. can I'll I just make that point? I, I, I'm going to call time on it here. I want to thank you both very much for coming on. Neil Richmond, Fine Gael TD, and Una Mullally, Irish Times columnist. Thanks, Emil. This week's podcast was produced by Declan Conlon with JJ Vernon on sound. We'll talk to you all next week.